Today we're doing a kind of post catch up episode with Aramangafo. She was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and one of the really interesting quarters we discussed was retirement. And I know Adam is very um, passionate about retirement for Māori and things like this. So I thought we'd have another episode and just have a quarter about the different things we need to consider when we're thinking about retirement and things like this. So kia ora, Arma. Kia ora, thank you for having me back again. I'm so excited to come back and thank you to your listeners for the feedback that they gave after um, the last time I was on here. It was um, really interesting, some of the feedback that um, I received. That's cool. Um, so what is what do you think is are some of the important things we need to consider when we're looking at retirement? Well, you know, um, one of the comments I made on the show earlier um, was that I would love, you know, when I grow up, I'd love to be the <laughs> Māori Retirement Commissioner. And um, one of the, I know your listeners said, why do we need a Māori Retirement Commissioner? And, you know, Māori are overrepresented in every negative health statistic in Aotearoa, New Zealand. You know, that is why we have the Māori Health Authority. Mm. to try and improve those outcomes. But if we can't improve them, or if we do improve them, then what does retirement look like for Māori? Yeah. So what would it? What should it look like? Well, ideally, we should be living well into our 80s and that our health is um, as best as possible. Because I think, you know, last time I was here, you mentioned the fact that, you know, we have medicines available to um, increase our life. I mean, you know, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I've had a hip replacement, I'm due for a knee replacement, um, you know, and for a lot of Māori, we're very active people in our youth, you know, we're playing rugby, netball, all these sports, and we often end up with these injuries. The other thing is that we engage in like riding motorcycles more. We often have motorcycle accidents and there are so many different challenges for us um, health-wise. And, you know, do we get proper health care when we receive those injuries? Oh, gosh, there's another kaupapa. (laughs) I'm not going to go into ACC or our care, but it is very closely related because... Do we get good health care? That means that we um, don't have health issues into our early 40s and 50s. Mm. And why do we care about retirement? You know, why aren't we investing in KiwiSaver? Is it because we don't understand retirement? We just we just don't think about it because we don't think we're going to get there. I also think second to the health conditions that Māori are more prone to kind of have and suffer from, I think the impacts of not having putia in the um, start of your life and throughout that also increases stress, that it increases the risk of mental health problems that can actually make things a lot more difficult moving forward and planning for retirement. And so does unemployment. Yeah. And, you know, Māori um, are still overrepresented in unemployment statistics. And then there's a whole generation of young Māori that have grown up 
in what we call intergenerational beneficiary cycles. Mm. So there are some whānau in New Zealand, Aotearoa New Zealand, who actually have had their grandparents reliant on a benefit, had their parents reliant on a benefit, and now they're going to be reliant on a benefit. And if you want to reach retirement and you want to be able to plan for retirement, how on earth do you do that? When your, when, when your models and your role models have, are caught up in this intergenerational benefit beneficiary be, beneficiary system, how, how do you do that? Yeah. How do we break out of it? You know, um, how do we offer people opportunity when they can't see opportunity? And what happens if you are on a benefit? Why can't you sign up to KiwiSaver? You could. Could you realistically? You wouldn't be able to um, contribute to it, but you could open an account. And the government's not going to give you the funding. Like an employment contribution or um, your voluntary contributions. And what we know about KiwiSaver is that when you put at least $1,000 into your KiwiSaver, the government will add $500 on top of that. So that's already a 50% return on $1,000 that most beneficiaries won't have access to because they can't put that first $1,000 into the KiwiSaver. And the other thing I know is that if if you aren't allowed to have investments when you're on a benefit, where is the where is the impetus? Where is the um, incentive for you to have KiwiSaver if the government turns around and says, if you're in receipt of a benefit, you're not allowed to have savings, do they then look at the KiwiSaver and say, oh, you now have a saving. The fact you can't access it um, unless you meet certain criteria, do they interpret that as being savings to kahukura? I honestly don't know if they they do, but I think that they're quite strategic when they decide on how much money to give people, whether that's through the unemployment benefit or even the student allowance, it's at a rate that's just enough to kind of scrape by, but not enough to be able to build anything, to be able to exit this um, kind of continual cycle that most beneficiaries are working through. And so we have a whole part of our society who is, uh, for whatever reason, and you know, it isn't necessarily their choice, but they're on an unemployment benefit or they're on what they call a job search benefit, or they're on a disability uh, allowance disability allowance, or a sole income parent um, benefit. And so, but they're all treated the same. Mm. You know, and if you're on a disability, why can't you invest in KiwiSaver? Mm. Why are you kept in the state of poverty through what could be no cause of your own? Mm. Through no doing of your own, how do we how do we expect people to plan for their retirement when they're put in that classification? Mm. And so, if you were the retirement commissioner, what would? <laughs> <laughs> That's so political. I don't expect to get a job with that. <laughs> but not after um, this. No. <laughs> um, what would you like to see happen, or what are some of the initiatives you would start? Well, they'll just steal my ideas to <laughs> Well, maybe that's a good thing. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm 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 easily ex- I'm easily uh, contactable, but <laughs> you know, 
to be honest, I think that we need to really encourage Māori in whatever area they're working in and to start having those conversations. So why aren't we going out to Marae? Why aren't we turning up at Tamatatini? <laughs> you know, why aren't we encouraging Fano? I've never seen anybody go to Tamatatini and, you know, um, try. In fact, you need to go to Tamatatini and take Māori millionaire there. He Paitera. But um, you still haven't, you know, so you're saying that we need to normalise this corridor of building um, a nest egg for our retirement? Is, is that For this? our whānau, yes, because then if you've got something um, to retire with, you've got something to um, gift back to your whānau. Mm. You know, whether or not you invest in a property, right? Mm. Or whether or not you invest in a property and when you pass away you ask for that, property to be used to fund a papakainga or whether or not you're investing in your retirement in a papakainga so that your whānau have a home so that your whānau have a base with which they can grow their wealth because having wealth gives you opportunities mm. it doesn't mean that you're going to buy the latest iPhone every year it comes out or you're going to purchase the latest car your your wealth could be used for your whānau. Mm. Your wealth could be given to your marae. Your wealth could be used buying um, solar panels to fund electricity for your marae or your papakainga or your home. So wealth doesn't have to be used from an individual capitalistic perspective. Mm. It actually can be used for your whānau hapu and iwi. Mm. And so when you retire, if you think about that, if you think, oh, okay, I'm, I've invested in this in this property and I now have passive income because the mortgage being paid off over 20 years and I now have, you know, this rental income minus the expenses of $350 a week, great. Yep. Actually, why don't I... And, and so I, I can work and I need to work another 20 hours to sustain my own self. But actually, I'm going to use this $350 to um, put into a putia to help my marae. So if they need um, a new whatever, mm. um, a new ablution block, a new farikai or something like that, and you've got 10 people who felt the same way about making sure that their hokainga and that their marae was being looked after, that's $3,500 a week mm. that you have in passive income because you've planned for your retirement that you can put towards uh, your, your marae. And what about if you decided you wanted to turn that $3,500 actually into an education fund for your kohanga babies so that when your kohanga babies then graduate high school, you have $350,000 you can reinvest and turn that money into an education scholarship. Mm. Why not? Why are we relying on other areas to do that? Why can't we do that ourselves? Because that's generational wealth. And that is one way we can actually help use our retirement for our farmer, for our tamariki and to grow the base value 
that Māori have access to. Mm. And what ways are you preparing for retirement or what ways are you future-proofing your career? Um, I think, you know, when we talked about in the last the last session, on the last time I was here, I talked about my business. And um, really, I used my business as a platform to invest in property. And um, I think because um, of my age, um, my, my generation, um, we haven't quite got to your level of um, investment in sharesies and, <laughs> you know, Coda and all of those other platforms. But I don't think it's an age thing, to be completely honest, because how many rich white old men can you find that invest in stocks? They generally owned the businesses to which they invest stocks into, <laughs> okay. you know. So, um, and, and that's, that's a discussion for a whole other day but back to um, my investments so I looked at investing in property and then making sure that those properties are mortgage free so that I have passive income with which I'll be able to um, maintain a lifestyle Mm. that um, I can look after myself and my children. And what was your first what was the first property you purchased? Oh, boy, there's a huge disclaimer on the first property I um, invested because back in those days, credit card debt and, you know, um, Bay Corp checks and things like that um, were not as advanced as what they were. And so when I went for my loan, um, all I had to show was that I'd been employed for six months and the banks didn't do the credit checks and things like that that they do these days. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) <laughs> well, it was just, you know, a different time. Um, you didn't get sent automatic American Expresses with $10,000 or $500 and things like that. So things were much simpler back then. But my first investment um, was my house. But again, if the listeners are interested, um, I spent 10 years at Waikato University, probably paying about $380 a week back in those days on a house as my rent. And I remember leaving that house thinking after 10 years, I'd probably pay $380,000. So Kahu Kahu's <laughs> listeners, she's literally picked up her, her phone I'm just try, I'm just listening and I'm like I'm not good at maths but that doesn't even sound right so $350 a week times 52 times 10 yeah so yeah so there's there's so I think there's roughly $182,000 no that's 197 what were you adding <laughs> Listeners, we can't even $350 times. No, 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 380. Oh. 380 times. You said 350. Times 10 years is one hundred and. What were you renting for $380 a week in the, what, 90s? The kahukura, we're going back uh, nearly 30 years, dear. Stop trying to show my age. No, this is a podcast, so listeners don't have to see me. But no, seriously, like, what were you renting for $380 a week then? Uh, I was, a mansion? No, no. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was down Inverness. What's Inverness? You live in, you go to Waikato University. Inverness is just along the road from Trali Place. 
I don't go into uni. But yeah. <laughs> see, this is another thing COVID did. It put all you students online. Back in the day, we lived really close to the university, so we could just walk through the um, the university grounds to get to our lectures, you know, in person. Oh, we all know that if, even if COVID wasn't here, we still wouldn't be walking to um, class. But, <laughs> but you yeah, know, it was a three-bedroom house. So anyway, when I finished university, I decided I'd wasted so much money on rent that I was not going to do that again. So I literally shifted back to Tokoro and lived in my parents' basement for six months while I got a um, while I was working on my job to show that I had six months income with very little expenses. And then I went to the bank and um, I bought my first house. Awesome. And then from there. Um, I got a really a really good house and then I lived there and then basically the property values went up. And when the property values went up, um, I saw I sold that house and I used the profit to invest in another house in another house. And that's basically what I did in terms to build my my property portfolio. And case in point, the other thing I'd say listeners, is for all of those people who were knocking Tokoroa back in the 70s and the <laughs> 80s, you should have invested and you should never have undervalued South Waikato because um, the properties held their value, they increased in value, and we may have been slow to catching up with the economic growth, but we most definitely did. Mm. I think... And the I think Tokoroa especially has seen astronomical growth in terms of the property market where properties bought during the 2008 recession literally um, multiplied by seven times their value over 10 years, which is crazy. And other um, locations haven't seen that much growth. See, it's interesting because, you know, properties in Hamilton and in Tokoroa and um the investment that you have to get in order to get a house in Hamilton, you know, would probably buy you two houses, possibly even three houses in Tokoroa. And you're renting those properties out um, with that limit, that limited investment um, at $400 a week, whereas the property in Hamilton where you have to have three times the outlay you're still only going to get maybe $600 a week. Mm. Um, and if there's mortgages on them, you know, where was the value in investing in Hamilton when you could get three houses at higher rent return? Mm. And yet people would look at South Waikato and even Kawarau and Otorohonga and, you know, smaller provincial towns. And again, I am not a property guru, I am not a real estate agent, but I am an investor. And with the limited knowledge that I have, when I see those things, you know, there's a lot to be said to investing in provincial communities. And when you invest in a community, you invest in its in its people. And I think that's really important. Mm. And so with your property investment, with your business, is did you have any other kind of sources of income that are helping you to prepare for retirement? Um, 
no. No, I have investments, I have shares, which, um, <laughs> you know, I'm very sceptical about, and I have my, bus- my business, and I invest in people, I invest in ideas. You know, that's that's basically what I'm doing, and um, that's where I see my retirement, looking at passive income that's generated from my properties and having my properties available, um, you know, when I when I eventually pass away, having those properties to pass on to my children. Mm. And what would what advice would you give someone listening in today to be able to um, be comfortable with the idea of retirement and that your passive income is going to support you throughout that? Well, I think on the um, Retirement Commissioner's website, there's a tool that you can use to look at how much money you need yeah. to retire with. And, you know, I never, ever thought the government would look after me. Mm. I am, I see the KiwiSaver um, program. I see that the government's invested in KiwiSaver. And, but primarily, I'm, I'm cynical, and I know the government did that because they realise they can't fund, you know, every single superannuant because we're living longer yeah. in terms of New Zealanders. not in, I don't know how the stats for Māori have shaped up. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, I never thought that the government would be able to sustain my generation. And, you know, that's why people are talking about, and when I say people, I mean politicians, have suggested that the retirement age has to increase. Mm. So it's at 65 now. If they want to increase that to 67, what happens when you're six when 67 becomes the new generational 65? Mm. The same what are they doing? Waiting for people to pass away before so that, retirement. Before retirement. So that, you know, when you're 67, there are less people. By the time I retire, it's probably going to be at like 85 or something. But I think that's my point to Kahukura, is that you cannot say that that in any way benefits Māori because no. we're not suddenly going to live to 67. So what are, who are the statistics that they're using to support that logic? I haven't seen any that actually have improved Māori uh, longevity and life. She's so, you know, but again, this is not a political a political thing, but it's something that I think about when you're talking about retirement, it's really important. But you know, back to the back to me answering your question. When you when you you need to figure out how much money you're going to need in order to live comfortably or in order to fund the lifestyle that you want. Do you have any uh rule like any rules or formulas you use to calculate this? I like I think that the retirement commission has a um, or sorta.com or some, one of those, um, they have, you know, what's it going to cost to, you know, sustain your life if you're living off $600 in 2023, that $600, when you take into account inflation, there are programs that can tell you, well, you know, by the time you reach 65, your $600 is actually going to have to be more like $1,100. Yeah. So that's pretty much the rule of thumb. Like I said, I'm not an economist. 
<laughs> so you just take us to the website then. Yeah, I'll make sure to put the website links in the description um, for anyone listening in today to use. But before we wrap this episode up. Well, I'm sure I would scare the bejeebas out of an economist and anybody who's been <laughs> listening to this that, you know, does this professionally is probably thinking, gee, that Adama from Tokoroa. <laughs> but, you know, for me, I'm just an ordinary average person who has been working hard and um, just I'm aware of these issues. Mm. Well, thank you, Adama, for joining us on the Māori Millennium Podcast. Um, we really do appreciate your time and your kōrero, and I think that everyone listening um, into these podcasts are going to learn so much and have so much value from this. So tēnā koe. Thanks to Kahu Kura, and um, I appreciate you having me back on the show. I think it's a really wonderful resource for people just to, you know, get the real and um, hear from you and your guests. Um, I know um, you had a guest from Gisborne for um, Rua Bio. Rua Bioscience? Yeah, Rua Bioscience. And, um, yeah. Manu Kedi. Yes, that was, was really quite insightful listening to somebody and I enjoy the podcast so yeah hopefully um, more people will reach out if they're interested in being a guest because it's a really good way to share your kōrero so kia ora thank you namahi <laughs>